Generation Z has the highest rates of depression, suicide, and meaninglessness, hopelessness, loneliness. Also the lowest rates of religion. Jesus is the true purpose that our generation is starved for. Jesus was a friend to everyone. You'd be a friend to everyone. We could be friends even if we don't have the same religious views. I've not heard of this Pixar theory. I don't think anything is going to live up to what we see in the Bible. The reason I trust the Bible is only really because Jesus trusted the Bible and I trust Jesus. Evil is not a thing. Evil means this is not in line with the way God intends for it to be. I've not listened to Andrew Tate directly. There's a reason he rejected Christianity and embraced Islam. What he preaches is completely against what Jesus preached. Andrew Tate treats women like objects that increase a man's status. Even if you're a criminal, even if you're a thief, if at any point in your life you decide to turn to Jesus, there's a promise that after you die, not only will your soul live on, your soul will be comforted with God. Thank you so much for doing this. I I definitely want to share how I first came about you. I think I was like, literally it was like a month and a half ago. I was on this road trip in Tasmania, this sort of island at the bottom of Australia. And I was on YouTube one night at a hotel and I saw this video, it was like, the Bible explained in 16 minutes or something. Clicked on that video and then I watched the whole thing. And then I clicked on another video, which was like, maybe it was about the New Testament or like what all the different religions are about. And you talk about atheism, Buddhism. And he sort of created these videos and there was like a, a beautiful sense of humor to it. It was very educational. And like the, the first takeaway after like your Bible in 16 minutes, I was like, wow, like this is a very cool story. Like I've never read the Bible. And it seems like the biggest takeaway is like people believe in God. People come into good times. People forget about God. Bad times happen. They come back to God and it's just constant cycle. And I'm like, whoa, like that, that's sort of happening right now. And I think all those things combined from your amazing videos to your personality, to your knowledge. I was like, I want to bring this guy on the podcast and just talk about his story and then, yeah, hear more about him. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so out of curiosity, what's your uh, religious background? Do you have uh, any affiliation or did you, or what's your story? So my parents were Buddhists. So my mom is sort of like into Buddhism. My dad was quite sort of atheist, like he was an atheist, I believe, but then he would still sort of go to the temple with my mom and sort of go to our mom's grave and put sort of candle incense and, and sort of do a prayer out of respect. But I think he doesn't really believe that he's praying to something. So I think initially I grew up quite atheist. ACS, is there a word atheistic? Thick? I don't know if that's what, but... Atheistic, yeah. Yeah, atheistic. When I was in probably, when I was 16 to 18, I spent a lot of time with my uncle who was tutoring me in mathematics and he had a mathematics sort of honors and masters and he was super atheistic. And that played a huge role in my sort of foundation. I think only recently over the last 12 months have I been really starting to open up and, and sort of feel like there is something more going on in this world and I really can't control things and if I do have faith and if I try my best, karma or the universe is going to push in my way and going to have my back and the, the universe wants me to win and, and I've been really starting to believe that over the last 12 months. Right. Um, if you want to discuss that, we could discuss like the difference between karma and Christianity, because there's there's a big, big difference. Um, we could talk about that, or you could just ask whatever you want. Uh, I'm all yours for the next uh, hour, hour and a half, whatever. How about I share sort of what my beliefs are and get your two cents on it? Sure, so, like maybe we could do that while we're recording so everyone can see that unfold. 
Exactly. So my beliefs are, I believe, I, I really believe in just being a good human, helping people, being kind to others, just putting as much good into the world as possible because, you know, we are born, we're going to die. The, the least I want to do in my life is just to be as kind and be as a good human person as possible. Um, and, and that comes with, I guess, listening, giving, helping, trying not to be selfish, trying not to be greedy. And I think that's sort of my belief. And I remember sharing this belief to a, a Christian friend, two different Christian friends, actually two Christian friends, and they both were like, uh, you know, you, you're gonna go hell because you don't believe in God. I was like, what? That was my instant reaction. And then I've now met other Christian people who are like, oh, like that sounds amazing. You should keep doing that. That, that sounds very good. So those are two sort of answers I got from two different type of Christian people, but those are my beliefs currently. Yeah. Um... Well, any religion you talk to, you will find individuals who identify with that religion who will believe all sorts of things. Because, you know, individuals are generally free thinkers, but if you, the the deeper you dig into a religious tradition, the more similar all the uh, voices start to get once you approach the core of the religion. Uh, so the, the core of Christianity is really this belief, this starting point is that none of us are good people. So there aren't any good people in the world uh, with one exception and that's jesus so christianity is about a few things number one it's about trying to be like jesus we never will but we we can approach that and christianity is a path following jesus because he's the only good person that there ever was really it's also that you know because we're not good people we all deserve god's judgment because we're we're not good we have evil inside all of us and the only way to be spared from that is to be united to jesus because he's the only good person and that's why christians will say you know faith in jesus christ is so important uh because he is the only good person if you have faith in anything else of this world it's it's corrupted it's going to lead you astray so that's why some christians some christians will oversimplify it and say you know believe in jesus or go to hell um it's a bit more complicated than that <laughs> it's not like that it's really uh, the entire world is you know under a curse of evil christianity has a strong dichotomy between good and evil that might distinguish it from some like buddhist certain buddhist schools of thought um very strong dichotomy between good and evil God is good. There is real evil. Humanity has sided with evil over God, and humanity deserves God's judgment. And the only human being who was ever good was Jesus Christ. And the reason he was good, and the reason he didn't fall to evil was, even though he was fully human, he was also God. Uh, Jesus is God coming into the world to save the world. So that's basically what I would say the difference is between uh, Christianity and a sort of karmic spiritual tradition. Got it. So if I were to sort of pivot my sort of my, my let's say Andy's religion a bit, um, I'd probably say the same thing, but you're right. Like I am a flawed person trying to be good and a role model I would model after would be someone like Jesus. Someone I, I try to sort of, I, I love that story of how he would travel around and just help strangers and, and I love doing it. And that's something I try to embody and try my best to model after. But on the other hand, I don't believe that there is a man high up above that's looking over me. Um, I don't believe that if I die, I'll go to a heaven or a hell. Um, I, I probably lean more towards that, you know, if I die, like for example, similar to my fish tank, if a fish dies, it converts into 
fertilizer that maybe then helps the plants grow. So this is sort of Newton's law, you know, energy cannot be destroyed nor created sort of effect. And to the gods thing is like, I think like the fish tank, I guess in that series, I'm looking over and, and looking after the fish tank as a whole, but I'm not specifically in one of any of the fish tanks, fish's mind, or I'm not like looking over their shoulder. I can't tell what the fish is are thinking but I feed the fish the fishes that are good fishes I give them more food and, and I want them to, to sort of live longer and if fishes are fighting I'll try break them apart so I play that role as God but I can't see what each fish is thinking I don't know if which fish is bad or good at heart and I'm not looking behind or into the over the shoulder of every specific fish yeah, um, that makes sense. I would say in the in the Christian view, the difference between God and humanity is a far greater gap than the difference between us and a fish. I'd say the best analogy is the author of a, of a book versus the characters in the book. And Jesus Christ, we would say, is God writing himself into the book because Jesus is a human. He is just like the rest of us. He's also God, just like God the Father. One God, three persons, all that. So, you know, the more similar someone is to you, the more you can relate to them. You can relate a lot more to someone who speaks your language than someone who doesn't. You can relate a lot more to someone who um, has similar life experiences and interests to you than someone who doesn't. You can relate a lot more to any human than to a dog. And you can relate to a, a dog more than you can relate to a mushroom, I assume. So generally, because God is so different from us, it's impossible for us to relate to, to God except Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is just like us. He is everything that we are. He's also everything that God is. So that's why Jesus is the bridge between us and God. So without Jesus, we think there's really no way anyone could actually have a relationship with God because God is just so far up and above and beyond us. It's not like a man in the sky. God transcends humanity. God transcends the sky. Um, he's not even a being within this universe at all. But we think everything about God, it all hinges on the person of, of Jesus Christ. Got it. I'll share one more sort of pivot I've sort of made, um, especially after that, the same Tasmania trip. It's, it's crazy how all these sort of signs of God have, have been slowly just coming in my life over the last six months. No, uh, I guess, like, for example, coming across your YouTube channel, um, listening to a podcast about Andrew Tate with George Jenker talking about God, me sort of having this weird click on this hike and, and deciding that, you know, universe, like I, I was consciously saying universe, like I'm ready to listen. Put me in the parallel universe where that version of Andy has the most epic but challenging, tough, amazing and most beautiful life possible. Like I'm ready to listen. Put me in that parallel universe. And I started listening to, I don't know if it was myself, to, to God, the universe. And I started, you know, the universe was like, you should take off your earphones and walk in silence. So I did that. The universe was like, this is a beautiful view. You should sit down take it in for the next 60 seconds. There's this big, giant, beautiful tree. You should close your eyes, put your hands on it, feel it and, and really, you know, embrace it. So I started just listening to, I don't know what that voice is, whether it's me, the God from within. I guess that's something I learned from Mongolia two months prior. And in Mongolia, they have this belief where God is within and, and that then clicked in. 
And then the next day, man, like God gave me its run for its money. Like I had the most challenging day from like getting lost to walking in, in drenched rain to like driving up this rainforest and, and reversing down because it got too road and too narrow and I'm in this motorhome and all of a sudden there's a hole in the motor. I get, get like in leeches I, and I was bleeding from my ankles. I was like, whoa, like I asked for a challenge and the next day, like that's literally what happened. And then I recently watched this movie called I Origins and it's sort of this relationship between this scientist and this sort of spiritual God believing girlfriend and they sort of fall in love. Metaphor. She was like, a worm can only feel, touch and smell. It doesn't have eyesight. So humans have that third scent, which is eyesight. So the worm can go through life without knowing, without seeing that there's light being shown on the worm. Whereas humans, we see light, we take it for granted. So she was saying, what if there's a fourth sort of sense, a spiritual sense, the ability to feel God. And then that also then started churning some cogs, but that that's been the recent big pivot that I've had over the last two, three months. And that's changed my belief drastically compared to the, um, the, the second explanation I shared. Interesting. So you're talking a lot about the universe. I'm very curious as to what you think the universe is. Like, how would you define the universe in the context of like the universe speaking to you? So two points, I guess the first point, what is the universe? I think the, the, honestly, I really don't know, but I do feel like the universe is either like this closed system, like my fish tank, or the universe could be like some creator, some person like me in some futuristic world running a simulation. I'm a big fan of simulation theory. Um, I watched this episode of Rick and Morty or like I watched this YouTube video of this guy running a thousand simulations of a thousand machines playing Pokemon. And like the machine doesn't know what it's doing. So you see a thousand versions of Ash running in circles and the machine gets smarter and smarter. And the machine's goal is to create a version where the machine was able to beat the game of Pokemon. And it takes thousands and thousands of versions. So I have, a, I have this weird gut feeling that like, whoever owns or runs this universe wants the universe to run for as long as possible. So it sees people like Jesus or Moses or hardworking people like, let's say Elon Musk, and gives those characters, those soldiers, a bit more guidance and luck because they know it's gonna push the universe towards its end goal. It's gonna allow the universe to be longer. So it gives more sort of points and credits to the algorithms that are better or, or, or performing better. So that's sort of an innate gut feeling. So that's my, I guess, scrambled explanation on what I think the universe or, or what I am listening to you, that, that's sort of the gut feeling I have. Okay, yeah, um, that's interesting. Thanks for telling me that. Uh, so you, you mentioned that the first video of mine you watched, or one of the first was where I talk about all the different religions. I think like two of the main categories are monotheistic religions like Christianity, Judaism, and Islam versus pantheistic religions that seems to be more like, like what you're articulating seems to sound more like pantheism where you have more of an in, a God that's internal to the universe, a God that's within all of us and everything, as opposed to a more monotheistic concept where God is external to the universe. Would, do you think that would be an accurate way to describe your beliefs as, as of now? As of now, with the whole simulation theory, I think that might be a more external thing where there's a guy that's running a simulation and he's like giving the, the algorithm, you give points to the, uh, the version that gets closer to the end of the game. I feel like that, I sort of okay. lean towards that. 
Okay. Um, simulation theory, it, it's popular today. In some ways, you could say that if you think the universe is, is a isn't a simulation, something or someone has to be running the simulation. That's what we could call God. And of course, there's still questions like, does that mean reality is determined or indetermined? That's a, a debate even within Christianity. But I think the point is, um, if you think the universe is something to, the universe itself is something to trust in, remember the universe is filled with evil and corruption. Like this is the same universe where animals have to kill each other to survive. Uh, this is the same universe where, you know, for most of human history, like the infant mortality rate was is extremely high. Um, and all the, you know, religious prophets of all different traditions have recognized the universe is, is filled with evil. And I think the more Buddhist mindset is you need to just detach yourself from the universe because the universe is filled with evil. The Christian mindset is because the universe is filled with evil, it needs to be corrected by an outside force. And that outside force is, is God sending Jesus. We believe that Jesus isn't just going to get us into heaven. Jesus is going to bring heaven down to earth to basically turn the universe into a perfect, the perfect world that it should be, but isn't. So that's why Christians, we do not put any faith in, in the universe. We love the universe, but we see God as something above the universe who sent Jesus down to redeem the universe. So I think that'd be the biggest difference between the Christian idea of, of God and a more pantheistic idea of God. So one thing from that pivot I've been adding, integrating much more to my life is having these conversations with quote-unquote God, universe, or the God from within, or even just myself, and really listening and being like, hey, like, I feel this way, what should I do? And then usually I then talk back to myself, and I don't know if that's myself, God, or the universe, and I have these conversations. And I've been trying to do that more and more, try to listen to myself more and more and have more of these conversations. And that's been another big integration to my life. So in uh, a question I have for you, in trying to learn about, you know, God, have you considered like reading what uh, various religious prophets like uh, Jesus or, or Muhammad or any of those or Moses, have you have you read? I'm, I know you said you um, haven't read much of the Bible, but have you read like the Gospels, for example, because that's where we get the teachings of Jesus. That's where we get not just the teachings of Jesus, but the like what he did, not just what he said, but also what he did, because that was an equally big like have have you read any of the four gospels? What is the four gospel? Right. So in the Bible, there's a lot of books in the Bible. The first four books of the New Testament are just stories about Jesus from four different perspectives. So there's not just one story of Jesus. There's four different authors each giving their perspective on the life of Jesus. Two of them were eyewitnesses in person. Two of them were not eyewitnesses. Two of them were um, just new people who were eyewitnesses. It's basically just an account of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. And there are differences. Like, um, for example, John, which is the fourth, focuses a lot more on like the cosmic significance of Christ and how Christ relates to the universe. Whereas, um, I don't know, Matthew focuses a lot on Jesus's relationship to Judaism and how he interacts with like the Jewish scriptures with like the 
ideas of Moses and stuff. Mark focuses a lot more on what Jesus did than what he said. Mark talks a lot about the miraculous works of Jesus and how Jesus healed people. So there are there are four different perspectives, but what they all have in common is he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And you see this one coherent narrative beginning to form throughout all four of them. So like, do you think you should read what Jesus said if you want to learn more about um, these religious traditions? I think the only thing I have consumed would be things like your video where it's like the Bible explained in 16 minutes. Yeah, but my, my video is only intended to be a gateway for people who are want to read the real thing because my video is not a substitute for the real thing. My video is just basically the Sparknotes version of the real thing. Not sure if you ever use Sparknotes for help on school assignments, but um, I sure did. So the short answer is yes. Um, I think the long answer is I have, you know, I guess a bunch of other books that I, I really do want to get through prior to getting to the Bible. So it's sort of one of the top books, but it's probably not the top 10 books that I want to clear off. I do know that if I read the Bible, just like the top 10 books that I need to also read, I probably have a lot of revelations and learnings. So I guess the short answer is yes, I do intend to eventually read the Bible, but I also would want to read the Quran uh, or read some um, Buddhist texts um, as well. Yeah, I mean, reading the whole Bible, that takes quite a long time. It took me like eight months to read it cover to cover. Uh, but reading the four Gospels, that doesn't take a long, a long time at all. I guess my question for you is, if Jesus really is who he said he was, if Jesus really is God and the Savior of the world, would you want to know and believe that? I think I believe Jesus was this amazing, beautiful man that did exist. But similar to like Achilles, Achilles was this amazing, strong soldier. But over the last thousands of years, he's slowly turned into this mytholytic, mythologic god. Like you hear stories about Achilles' heels and he's starting to become a myth. And a thousand years from now, Achilles is going to be one of like the gods that you would put next to Zeus. But Achilles started out as like a amazing human soldier that did amazing feats. Um, and I think the same thing would go for Aristotle and Plato. So I do believe Jesus existed, but I do feel like he was this extraordinary, beautiful, kind, helpful person. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of or read C.S. Lewis. Um, he's probably, um, he, wrote, he wrote a lot of books. He, he's, a, he's a Christian. A lot of books like Mere Christianity, that's probably his most famous book. And he poses this thought experiment. The thing that sets Jesus apart from all the other prophets is he actually claimed to be God. These other prophets, they said either they were sent by God, like they received a message from God, or they simply just had some idea about God. Like Buddha didn't claim to be sent by God at all. He just said, I have been enlightened on how the universe works. So for all the, the opinions of, of those uh, prophets, you could, you know, take it or leave it. Because Jesus claimed to be God, there's really only three possibilities. Either he's lying, he's just a lunatic, or it's true. So the, the three L's C.S. Lewis gives us are Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. So what that means is Jesus could be any of those three things. What Jesus cannot be is simply a good teacher who is not God because he claimed to be God. And he was 
came from a context where it is blasphemy to claim to be God if you are not God. It is completely unacceptable. So with Jesus, it's not like all the other great philosophers. Like I agree with Plato and Aristotle, especially Plato on a lot of things. I don't agree with Plato on everything. I don't have to. I agree with St. Augustine on almost everything, but not everything. Um, of course, I would agree with even Buddha on some things. It's not good to be attached to material possessions. I don't agree with Buddha on everything. That's okay. With Jesus, however, he claimed absolute authority. And he claimed that you're either for him or against him. So you could be against him. You could say you think he was a liar. You could say you think you could think he was crazy. Or you could or you could convert to Christianity and say he was exactly who he said he was. But for Jesus himself, what you cannot do is be somewhere in between. Interesting, because I always saw it as like a you know, if someone if I walk by the street and someone says, I'm the best basketball player in the world, I'm like I just I'm like, okay, cool. It is what it is, and I just sort of go on through my life. And if that person was the best basketball player in the world, I'd probably ask for advice. I'd probably want to, if I'm playing basketball, I'd watch and observe how they play basketball and really listen to all their sort of basketball tips and tricks. So I guess if we bring it back, what do I think about Jesus saying that he is God? I think there's nothing wrong about proclaiming that you're God. I can see, like, I feel like as I'm tapping on and then having more of these conversations with, I guess, the universe or God, and I'm really getting in tune, like, I could see if I really practice this in the next 5, 10, 15 years, so that I gain a, a level of spirituality that I can start helping people in a whole different level, just like how Jesus did. And let's say I was born with this ability, not... It wasn't picked up at the age of 23 or 24. Um, if I was born with this ability, I could definitely see myself being like, man, like God has anointed me as a person to sort of save this world. So that's my belief at the moment. Mm -hmm. That is what all the great prophets said. They said, God has anointed me as a person to serve this world. That's what Moses said. That's what Muhammad said. That's what all the prophets in the Bible, the prophets the Bible speaks very highly of said. What Jesus said was in a completely different category than that. It, it was more than that. He didn't just say, I am a man who can lead people to God. He didn't just say he was a man anointed by God. Of course, he did say those things. But something he said was that people were questioning him, saying that, like, you know, we, we follow Abraham, this old ancient religious patriarch. Jesus says, before Abraham was... I am. What Jesus did was he claimed to be eternal. He claimed to have always existed, not just, he wasn't just, so he wasn't just a man who eventually sort of united himself to the divine or eventually got anointed by God. What he was claiming is not only is he God, not only is he the God who created the heavens and the earth and sustains them, but he has always been that. So the only thing that changed about Jesus was eventually he took on a human a human nature he eventually became human but he never stopped being god and so what he claimed the claim was that he's always been god and not just a god not just in an incarnation of god the one and only capital g god to the exclusion of all other gods so if someone claims that if they're not telling the truth they're not reliable. And everything Jesus said was basic was based upon that fundamental claim that he is God and he has the authority to communicate truth about the world because he is God. Got it. Yeah, like I sort of can see how people 
you know, would try to convince me that, okay, Jesus is God. And, and for some reason, I sort of have this sort of nonchalant, like sort of like if he is, if he isn't, it feels like it doesn't really matter. So I guess the core question would be, okay, based on my current beliefs, what are the downfalls and what are the consequences of those gaps in my current beliefs? Like what are the, what are the downfalls of what specifically? Well, let me rephrase it. Um, based on the belief I shared, do you think there's something I need to change or fix? And how would that change or fix better my life? So, I mean, I would say the thing you should consider is that the question of whether Jesus is God or is not God matters. So like, as, as C.S. Lewis said, if it's wrong, then Jesus doesn't matter at all then you can forget about it and Christianity is a waste of time. If it's right, then it matters infinitely. Uh, what which C.S. Lewis said, and I agree with this, is what Christianity cannot be, it cannot be of moderate importance. So my advice to you is to recognize that with Jesus Christ, it's all or nothing. Either he is exactly who he said he was, or he was just either a liar or a lunatic. Now, given that that matters, once once you realize that that matters eternally, then the best thing to do is to actually read about Jesus to see for yourself if he is the kind of person who is reliable, or if he's the kind of person that you can trust. Because the um, the way Christianity is, is shared, the way people spread Christianity, it's a very come and see mindset. It's not a mindset of you need to believe this because this will happen if you don't. It's not necessarily a mindset of let me give you a 500 page long, you know, rational dissertation proving why this is true. It's just a come and see mindset. That, that's why I ask you, you know, if Jesus is who he said he was, would you want to know? Got it. So my current belief is that I'm going to start really harsh and then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of ease it. Uh, I'll sort of ease it out. But I guess my would be like, I don't care. You know, I don't care if Jesus equals God. Just like how I don't care if the Dalai Lama is really the ninth reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. But I still love Jesus and I still love the Dalai Lama. So there's these sort of things like, okay, did, is the Dalai Lama really the ninth reincarnation and they somehow tracked where he was reborn? Every, like, I don't really care about that, but I still love the Dalai Lama and what he teaches. Is Jesus really God? I don't really care, but I love what he stands for and what he's done. Now, this is my current belief. I guess, why should I change it? And if I change it, how is that going to help me? So you said you love Jesus. Like, why do you love Jesus? I love the fact that he was this kind person that just helped so many people. He was so strong behind that belief that he was willing to sacrifice himself to spread a message just like this image I have of this, this famous image on Time magazine where there's this monk meditating as she's being burned and I think it was like a protest in, in Tibet. It just shows that okay pain is painful but like what she's doing is much more than the pain of dying and being burnt alive. Um, the message she's spreading is such a bigger thing that people just can't interpret, just like God sacrificing himself or Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. Okay, that makes sense. You know, if I say I love the Beatles, for example, I'm going to want to listen to their songs. So, you know, you, you say you love Jesus. You know, if, if that's true, I would recommend you should read what he said, read what he said, read what he did to see if you actually do love Jesus. Because 
there are some things he said that maybe you, I, I might anticipate you might not like so much. Uh, he said you need to love him more than you love your parents and your friends or basically anyone. That's quite a claim of some random stranger on the street said you need to love me more than anyone else. And I'd be like, who are you to, to claim that? He talked a lot about hell. He talked a lot about that um, he's going to come back to judge the world eventually. He's going to separate people into two categories. One category will live with him in a perfect world forever and the other group will be cast into eternal fire it not the sort of hippie jesus that you hear about in in pop culture so a lot of people they, they have this image of jesus and it's you know the way you describe jesus to me i would say that's accurate but if you start reading about jesus you might come across things that you might not like so much this happened in jesus's time during jesus's time there are a lot of people who loved his teachings and who followed him and he had like massive crowds of followers there are also a lot of people who really hated him you know they killed him for a reason uh, because he, they were very, very mad. Some people got very mad at what he was saying. So if if one man, if one Jewish carpenter from the middle of nowhere in Palestine was able to cause so much of a ruckus, wouldn't you want to know why? Yes. So that's why it's definitely one of the books I, I want to eventually read. And now I guess the question is, why isn't it the number one book? Hmm. Why is it not the next book? That I want to read. Well, one, it's a very long read. Two, I do feel like it's... The Gospels are, are short. The Gospels themselves are very short. Cool. So maybe if... if Are you recommend me, recommending me to read the Gospels or the Bible? Eventually, uh, if, if you have time, it's good to read the whole Bible. But a good starting place is just the four Gospels. Um, you could, like, one of the Gospels is Mark. Mark is the shortest. It's 16 chapters. I read it in one sitting. You can read it in one sitting. If you read all the four Gospels, that shouldn't take you more than two or three days, honestly. Um, they're very dense, so there's a lot you might want to come back and read later. But the Bible has 66 books. The Gospels are just four of those 66 books. The Bible is honestly more of a, a library than one singular book. It's a series of books, but you're not going to miss that much if, if you start with if you start with the Gospels. The Old Testament provides some of the context, but you can understand the Gospels if you read them on their own. You will get enough of the message just by reading those four books, and they're not long books either. They're, like I said, one of them you can read in one sitting, the other two shouldn't take you more than a day. Got it. So right now, as I'm listening to myself or the universal God, he's saying you should finish the current book that you're currently reading. It's this book on marketing and, and sort of what luxury is about. Finish that book, buy the first gospel, Mark. No, you don't need to buy it. It's all over the internet. Oh. You could look up Bible Bible Gateway Matthew, like the book of Matt, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in order. And you can find them anywhere. The Bible is the most printed and distributed and translated book in human history. So you don't need, you don't need to order anything really. You could find... Like uh, Bible Gateway is my favorite website. There's tons of if you if you type Matthew one into Google search, you'll find a way to read the entire book of Matthew. So you don't need to buy or order anything. The Bible is literally the most accessible book that has ever existed. Perfect. And I think that's really good for the audience. For me, that wasn't an excuse or a friction for my... I know. I'm, I'm just saying you, you don't need to even spend any money on this. Awesome. I appreciate that. So it was like the universe told me you should read the current book. Go ahead and, and read, I guess, Matthew, the first gospel. And 
if you really feel a calling to then read the another three, then read the other three. If that was a good taste and now you sort of understand what Jesus and, and you know more about his story and you want to sort of complete these books that have been sitting there, go ahead and do that. But the next two steps is one, quickly finish the current book. Next is read Matthew and then three, update Richard on how I feel after I read it. And yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yep. Now you said you might read Matthew first. Mark is actually the shortest and it's the easiest to read. Most people would recommend that. They're not in chronological order, by the way. They, like I said, they're four different perspectives, four different people giving their giving the story of Jesus from their perspective. So Mark, I, I, I sent in the um, Zoom chat, I sent a link to read Mark, by the way. So you can just click on this. So if you're if you're going to start with one, I would recommend Mark. That's the shortest one. You can read it in one sitting, one afternoon with a cup of tea. You'll read it by the time you're done drinking it. Anyway, so yeah, if, if and I say this to the audience too, if you want to just get a, a general sense of who Jesus is and his personality, just read the Gospel of Mark. 16 chapters, very short book. Anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. No, thank you. That's perfect. I guess, Richard, what's been your main focus or what's your current focus for like the next six months or even 2024? Has it been just the YouTube channel and trying to spread the message of God? Tell me a bit about sort of what, what you've been really passionate about lately. Right. So my name on YouTube and all social media is Redeemed Zoomer. Zoomer means Generation Z, our generation. As I'm sure you know, our generation's not in a good place. Uh, generation Z has the highest rates of, you know, depression, suicide, and meaninglessness, hopelessness, loneliness. Also the lowest rates of religion. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Redeemed means, you know, I am not a good person. I am evil. I'm sinful. But I was redeemed, passive voice, by Jesus Christ. And because of that, I want to help the rest of my generation. I believe that Jesus is the true purpose that our generation is starved for. So because I want to help the Zoomer generation, Generation Z, because I want all the Zoomers, all people in my generation to be redeemed, that's why I do what I do. That's why I try to make YouTube content. And my content, it is educational. I do try to make it educational. Um, I try to make a lot of my content unbiased, but I myself am 100% biased. I want people to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. Specifically, um, I want to try and revive old church communities because, you know, everyone had a social life back when church was the center of the community. And that's really started to die out. So uh, strong local church communities and reviving them, that's a, a particular project I've been very invested in. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm doing there is in service of the, of the broader goal of, you know, spreading, not just spreading the message of Jesus Christ, but getting people to have a personal relationship with Christ through the church. You've like been able to like find a way to scale the sharing of message. Because in my mind, it's like, oh, like, like, I guess, Richard, what's stopping you from, I guess, becoming a priest and sort of having a church? But what you're doing is you've been able to, I guess, integrate business, integrate social media and marketing and, and scale what a priest would normally do in his sort of local church. I guess, one, where did that sort of come from? And two, does it taint what you're doing when you sort of bring in business or, or marketing or, or scalability? versus doing old school one-to-one -one and trying to reach a billion people, which is impossible one-to-one. -one. 
Yeah. So what I say in the description in my about section of my YouTube channel is I am not a pastor and I shouldn't be filling in for a pastor because I'm not one. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I'm supposed to be the gateway drug. I'm supposed to be people's first introduction to Christianity and Christian theology. But in most of my videos, I leave a map where people can find real churches to go to because I say many times, nothing I do online is a substitute for church. It's meant to be the hook that encourages people to go to church for real. And that is where they need to have those one-on-ones with their priests or their pastors or elders in their community, because you're absolutely right that what I'm doing, even though it's on a large scale, is not a substitute at all for an actual church congregation with an actual ordained minister. Richard, what's your relationship like with God? And was there a moment where God was like, Richard, you have this ability to create these videos that reach a ton of people. Be my soldier. Help me be this gateway drug and just get just get as many people in as possible. Like, please do that for me. And then you were like, man, like, God is like telling me to do this. This is my purpose. Like, I know what to do now. Right. So there are Christians for whom things like that do happen. There are Christians who receive like verbal messages from God, and I'm not one of them. I don't really think I've ever heard a discernible message from God that can be put into a sentence. For me, I became Christian once I realized a truth about the universe. I became Christian at a summer camp, um, a music camp when I was a teenager. I saw the goodness and the truth and beauty of Christianity because it was a, a Christian community, some of the kindest, most loving people I'd ever met. And I realized that like, the problem of evil was the thing keeping me from Christianity. I realized God allows evil uh, to bring a greater good out of it because he's glorified and triumphing over evil. So for me, I have discerned what God wants me to do, not by hearing a direct message, but by things that happen. I believe God controls everything. And they say everything happens for a reason, and that's a, a cliche, but I believe it's true. I believe God is in charge of everything that's happened. Certain coincidences in my life, certain people that have been put in my life, that's how I know that what God wants me to do. So I don't hear a message from God. But when I make these videos and people say, your videos either led me to Christ, because a lot of people, a lot of people have told me that they were like non-religious and my videos led them to Christ. And, you know, praise God for that. An even more common thing is people were like very vaguely associated with Christianity, but didn't really understand it. And my videos helped them understand it. When I get a lot of those testimonies from people, that's how I understand that this is what God wants me to do because God controls everything. You can look to circumstances in your life to discern to discern the will of God, especially um, if you're someone who has faith in God. Talking about coincidences and stuff like that, like I truly do believe like the reason why I had that day filled with sort of troubles and, and, and difficulties is because God was giving me the skill sets. Like it might, I might not understand why I needed to go through that hardship today, but in five years time, looking back, it would make sense. Like, oh wow, I had to go through that to avoid this mistake. And now I have a kid and now the kid's safe because I had that mistake when I was 
24. So I do believe that everything happens for a reason. So that's one point I wanted to share. The second thing I wanted to ask is, let's say after I read the gospel and you know, I'm like more like, wow, like I even have more respect for Jesus, more respect for God. I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful message. But my beliefs are pretty much the same as they're now. Would I be like accepted in those loving and wholesome Christian groups and community? Or like, would we still be friends if my beliefs stayed the same? Of course, I would be, uh, I was accepted in that community back when I was even a bit hostile to Christianity. I didn't really like religion at that time. The reason Christians were like that, the reason I saw Christians were like that, they were just following the example of Jesus. Jesus was a friend to everyone. Like the way Jesus identified himself is he is a friend of sinners. And a lot of people, a lot of, you know, other religious people criticized him for, you know, eating with prostitutes. They're like, why does Jesus eat with sinners? And he said, uh, it's it's the sick who, who need a doctor. So um, the, the example Jesus gave is you be a friend to everyone, even people that you don't think are correct. And the reason Jesus did this is because in the earlier books of the Bible, God identifies himself as a friend of sinners, you know, and Jesus just is, is that this God who has actually come into the world. In Christian communities, of course, you know, maybe they wouldn't baptize you. They probably wouldn't be willing to baptize you if you still believed what you believe now, but they would definitely welcome you into their community. Got it. And let's say, I guess a better example is you know, I asked, would we still be friends? You said yes. Now, would there be like a barrier that's stopping that true love and, and care and companionship because our, of our differences in views? Obviously for me, that's not gonna be a roadblock, but for you as a Christian, like can we be brothers despite our differences? Can we love each other as brothers? Jesus says to love your neighbor no matter who they are. Um, and people challenged him. They said, okay, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, it's everyone. He said even to love your enemies. Obviously, we're, we're not enemies at all, but that that's what Jesus taught. So that's what I believe as well. Of course, we could be friends even if we uh, don't have the same religious views. If Christianity was like that, if Christianity was a religion where you could only be friends with people that are Christians— Christianity would never have spread outside of Jerusalem. It would have stayed there for 30 years and died. The reason Christianity spreads is often because people convert due to the influence of their friends. I converted to people who were my Christian friends. The same is true of, I don't know, my father, for example. That's usually the number one reason people convert. It's because Christianity has this principle of, you know, universal love and universal care. That doesn't mean we think everyone is correct. We are not relativists in terms of like, in terms of religion. We think that, you know, at the end of the day, only one religion is, is correct. Uh, but we believe that none of us deserve to be loved because we're all fundamentally, you know, corrupted and sinful, but God loves us anyway, despite that. So because of that, Jesus says we have to love everyone else, regardless of who they are, regardless of whether we think they deserve it, because no one deserves it. We don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. No one deserves it. God loves us anyway. So that means we are to love and care for everyone, no matter who they are, even if they're people who hate us. Jesus said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. That's the way of Jesus. What's your relationship like with like guilt? Like something I've been doing, like, you know, I, I have a business and on days, like two days ago, three days ago during Christmas, Boxing Day, like I just wasn't productive during those days. Like I sort of procrastinated, I'd get sucked on social media, 
Like I'd get work half-assed done. I'm sort of doing the work I enjoy and the tough work I'm pushing to the side and I'm feeling guilty about it. Obviously the, the change in perspective would be like, you know, one, like there's a reason why this is happening. Like I'm, I'm trying to recover from the holiday. I'm trying to get back into the flow of things. There's, there's a reason why God has like made it difficult for me to sort of just instantly snap into work. He's asking me to rebuild those sort of disciplined sort of muscles. That's, I, I guess, the approach I've taken it. What's your approach or how do you feel about guilt and, and do you go through the same things and troubles? Well, Christianity, it is a very guilt-based religion as opposed to like a shame-based religion. It's all about your personal accountability to God. I understand. The understanding of Christianity is every single day we do evil things. Every single day we all sin. And that's just the state we're all in. But there's also this promise that if we trust in God, God will forgive all of our sins. The condition is we need to forgive other people's sins. Um, the Lord's Prayer, the, the thing Jesus told people to pray, includes this one line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So every day we're going to let God down. Every day we're going to not do what God wants us to do. And we're also going to do things God doesn't want us to do. Um, but God forgives us. God simply asks that we forgive other people when they don't do what we think they should do or when they do things that hurt us. So Christianity is very guilt-based, but in some ways, God brings good out of that guilt. The good is it causes us to understand that we need God's forgiveness, and that builds, that actually strengthens our relationship with God. So yes, Christianity, I think, is very much based on guilt, but there is good that is brought out of that, and that good is we, we develop a closer relationship with Jesus. Could you share like an example of like a sin or something you did bad and it can just be minor, how you felt after doing that and then the conversation you had with yourself or God that sort of helped clear that? Um, yeah, sure. I can give an example from a couple days ago. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Twitter is often a, not a very good place. People get into arguments. And in certain Twitter arguments, I was very unkind to people. I didn't talk or act like Jesus on Twitter. And then my girlfriend said, you need to understand that what you're doing is wrong. You need to pray about it. So I did pray about it. I felt the guilt for what I did, realized that what I did was wrong and, you know, made a commitment to, you know, act a lot more like Jesus when I'm on Twitter. So, and th this is the, this is, we're talking like a daily basis here. I don't have to search back 10 years ago to this time I sinned 10 years ago. I did sin a lot 10 years ago, but it's not necessary to go but th that far back to find an example. It happens all the time. But if we are in a, re a right relationship with God, God brings good out of our sin. And even our sin, even our mistakes and guilt are eventually used for our good in the end, if we trust in God. The thing that sort of confuses me the most is we're so similar in views because like the example I shared like you know I would I would procrastinate I'd not be happy about it I'd talk to God or the universe or myself or the God from within and be like you know I have this conversation and God's saying you know Andy like you know you are procrastinating which is obviously not ideal but you know you got this man like just try better next day maybe try put a lock on your phone or do this but don't beat yourself up I believe in you you got this and all of a sudden I feel much better. So I feel like we're so similar, yet because of certain rules and, and guidelines, we're like on different sides of the same coin. We're not like a merged, we're not like a coin 
like if you if we split open the both sides heads and tail and merge them together like that's what i'd love of like the the heads and tails splitting up merging together but it feels like we're sort of opposite sides of the same coin which i guess also sounds nice but we're on opposite sides which is not nice right i mean i'm i can definitely relate to the procrastination thing big victim of that myself procrastinate all the time it's uh it's a generational uh, problem a lot of people in our generation will procrastinate so of course i i, I can try to improve and Sometimes I, I do succeed when I try to improve, but in Christianity, it's not really about our effort because Christianity is very pessimistic about what we can accomplish with our effort. You know, all of our efforts, they're never going to be enough, but Jesus is enough. So it's that's why Christianity is really about external goodness rather than internal goodness. Um, it's really about Jesus making us better rather than us finding the goodness in ourselves because everything in us is tainted by sin. There really isn't much goodness in us. There is goodness in Jesus, and Jesus can give us some of some of his goodness. So, you know, you said, you know, God can believe in us. According to Christianity, God doesn't believe in us, but if we believe in God, we can become more like God by becoming more like Jesus. Okay, cool. I guess that answers like, okay, we are maybe our thoughts are more different than I thought. <laughs> Based on that answer. Yeah, possibly, uh, like I said in some my some in the in the religions video like all these religions they're very interesting but they're all different the reason that there are different religions is they all have a different idea of who or what god is and how god relates to people so of course we could we, we can be friends and all that like i said you'd be friends with people of any religion but like i said these religious questions the question of you know which religion is right about god it's a question that matters because um, as we just saw, there are different answers to important questions about God, about the divine. Like the question of, I don't know, um, is there goodness with, is God within us at all? The Christian answer to that is a big fat no. So that, that's like, that's, that'd be one example of, of a difference. So that's why these questions matter. So let's say I'm like, no, not let's say like, you know, I am pretty happy and fulfilled with my current quote-unquote religion. You know, I have this gut feeling that if I tried Christianity, if I tried Buddhism, if I tried Islam or Judaism, I would be less fulfilled and more constrained. Like right now, I feel very happy and free and just in tune and like, you know, I'm letting go and, and that's because of the Andy my religion. And obviously, ideally, in the best, in the best scenario, if I had, you know, a thousand years of life, I'd give each religion a try for one or two years and then come back and be like, okay, now I know for sure that Andy my religion is best suited for Andy Mai. Um, but given that, you know, I'm pretty time poor and there's so many more, like I'm so happy right now and there's other things that I want to try versus going into a religion fully to really test my test. That's sort of where I'm at at the moment. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts, my first thought would be you don't need to try Christianity to understand Christianity because everything in Christianity is just about Jesus. So you don't need to become a Christian for two years to get a general sense of who Jesus is. Of course, that's the best way to know, but you just need to come and see what Jesus is like. So, you know, you don't need to become a Christian in order to, I don't know, read, read the, read the four gospels, for example. So that's why I said, it's like lots of people are 
feel happy and fulfilled in their religious traditions, but I think I think it matters which one is true. I think truth matters. And Jesus actually said, your life might not necessarily be good if you follow him. Jesus said, a lot of people who follow him are going to suffer. That's like the worst sales pitch I've ever heard. But it's because he's being honest. And many of Jesus' followers did suffer when they followed him. The uh, 11 out of Jesus' 12 original followers, the, the ones he left in charge of you know, building the church, 11 of them died horribly by being executed. St. Peter... Uh, who was like the leader of them, he died by being crucified upside down. And if, if you don't know how painful crucifixion is, it's where we get our word excruciating from. So these followers of Jesus, you're right. They, um, in terms of material comforts, they did not go on to leave to lead happy lives, but they did that. They were willing to submit to that because they found a spiritual fulfillment that was greater than any material things. And, and you mentioned you had respect for that monk who was willing to, you know, burn to death because of the higher spiritual meaning she found. Another thing is that these. 12 apostles, they were executed for what they were proclaiming. And what they were proclaiming was that Jesus, the Son of God, actually rose from the dead, not just spiritually, but physically. No one dies for something they know is a lie. So the fact that they are willing to suffer for all this, even though it didn't do them any good, shows us that they knew it was true. And I think truth matters a bit more than what we feel. There are some things that I didn't want to be true, but I had to admit that it it was. I didn't want to admit that, you know, certain things I was doing were sinful, uh, but that didn't change the fact that it was. So, you know, if you're fulfilled, sure, great. But I would encourage you to care, you know, to care about truth for the sake of truth itself, rather than for the sake of how you feel about the truth. Because I believe truth is objective. I believe only one of these religions can be right. Maybe none of them are right, but it can't be all of them. In your belief, or I guess based on the religious text, and that goes into a second question, does your belief and gut feeling ever go against the religious text and the Bible or the truth? And how do you deal with that sort of conflict? But back to the first question, in your belief, am I going to go to hell or will I get punished? Or is my life going to be more tougher than yours? Or am I going to be more spiritually hurt with my current beliefs? Right. So... According to Christianity, your life here now on earth isn't going to be any harder than the life of a Christian. Like I said, Jesus said a lot of Christians are going to suffer for their faith. A lot of them do. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world these days. So no, your life isn't going to get any harder if you if you don't start to believe in, in Christianity. But what Jesus preached was a different kind of life. Jesus talked about eternal life. Now, Christians talk about heaven. Heaven is not some floaty place in the sky, Eternal life, the way Jesus talked about it, is a perfect version of this life here and now. And Jesus himself, he said he is the resurrection of the life. Not simply he gives you a ticket to have the resurrection of the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the new humanity, the new creation. So eventually... He's going to make the world perfect. When he makes the world perfect, that means destroying all that is not perfect. That means all that is not, you know, united to him, all that is not part of his his kingdom. And there really is a danger that certain people are going to be part of that destruction. Certain people who are not, you know, not united to Christ, that are not in Christ, you know, that they're going to be swept away, just like, you know, the old uh, 
Noah's Noah's flood story, except a lot more, a lot more extreme. So I don't think we can say certainly someone is going to go to hell, but the only promise of eternal life, this life that is higher than this life, the only promise of eternal life is, is in Jesus. So I would say Christians, Christians know that they can have eternal life because they have faith in Christ. What about everyone else? That's the question. What about non-Christians? The answer is we don't know. We don't know how God is going to deal with everyone else. I hope everyone will have eternal life in the end. I hope so. That'd be nice. But there's no promise of that. Jesus never promised that. Jesus did talk about hell as a real thing. So my answer is not yes or no. My answer is there's no way for me to know because I'm not God. God, at the end of the day, I think you would agree with this. God decides what our destiny is going to be at the end of the day. The only promise that God gives of eternal life is in Jesus Christ. So for everyone else, the answer is there's no way to know. Who wrote the Bible? Like I was reading, I was watching these TikToks, how it's these ancient sort of people and they, they, in the comments, it's like fallen angels. Yeah, who wrote the Bible? Fallen angel. I haven't heard that one before. The answer is many, many people. And the answer is God. So Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Likewise, the Bible is also fully human and fully divine because the Bible is the book about Jesus. So it reflects the nature of Jesus, or rather the two natures of Jesus. So on the one hand, the Bible is a truly human text. It was written by all sorts of different people from all sorts of different time periods. It was written over the course of 1500 years starting with, you know, Moses in Africa, and then, you know, Paul in, like, Rome, and Paul even was in Spain. A lot of the prophets were in, you know, Asia and, like, Palestine. Lots of different people with lots of different life experiences. Like I said, the four Gospels, that's part of the Bible. Those were four different people with four different perspectives contributing to the, to the Bible. The Bible is not one book. It's a series. It's a library of many books. But in that whole thing, out of that whole collection, there forms one consistent story. I used to not believe the Bible was the word of God. I identified as a Christian. I believe in Christ. But I thought the Bible was just a human text. I didn't think it was written by God. But then when I read the whole thing from start to finish, I saw that it was like a mosaic. All these little pieces that on their own seemed to be different. They formed one consistent narrative from Genesis book one to Revelation, the last book. And that's when I realized this whole thing, it's written by humans. It's also written by God, guided by the whole, God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine person who inspired these human writers to write the texts of the Bible. So it's really God speaking through these truly human writers. So the answer to who wrote the Bible, it's both humans who wrote the Bible and it's God. It's not half and half. It's 100% a human text and 100% a divine text, just the way Jesus is 100% human and 100% divine. That fallen angels thing, I've never heard that before. I don't know where that's from. <laughs> What's the difference between the Bible being a combination of different stories and perspectives and it just having this, this, this string through it versus putting together the Godfather movie, this old American sort of mobster movie, combine that with Wally, -E, this Pixar animated sort of movie, combine it with Spirited Away, this Japanese anime sort of movie, and you watch these, say, 10 movies these 10 
impactful sort of movies, put in some old 1920s sort of Charlie Chaplin movie. And by the end of it, you're like, holy crap. Like after watching these 10 completely different movies and stories, I see a humanistic sort of story and, and, and conclusion and, and sort of meaning be behind all this. I mean, you could try that. And of course, we evolved to be pattern-seeking animals. We could draw a pattern if we really tried. But it's not like there are big questions. It's not like there's a prophecy in The Godfather that gets fulfilled in Spirited Away. But in the Bible, what we see is in the older books, in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus. I'm going to I'm going to send you a little thing. Hold on. Um, just I'm going to send it in the in the by in the Zoom chat. There are so many cross references in the Bible, so many newer books that quote older books and older books that predict things that end up happening in the newer books. So this is loading right now. I, I just sent it in the chat. Tell me if you tell me if you get this. If, tell me if you see this. Do you see what I just sent? It's loading. Yes, I see. Wow. What this is. This is a, a chart in the Bible of every cross-reference that there is in the Bible. Every example of one text, either of a new text, either referencing an old text or an older text predicting something that happened in a new text. This is every cross-reference in the Bible. So this is how interconnected the whole Bible is. Have you um, heard of the Pixar theory? What's the Pixar theory? It's basically this very popular YouTube video where they somehow tie in the combination between all these Pixar movies from Toy Story to Wally to Cars and, 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 and sort of tie these and it had all that they had similar thing where there's a toy car in Toy Stories and they combine and there's all these links. And then recently I had a original founding member from Pixar on my podcast and it was like, yep, that's it's just all coincidental. It's not a real thing. He just broke it just like that. But like there is massive reddit forums advocating this pixar theory on how like toys started to talk because of this witch in brave and and blah 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 and then they combined in monster inc and yeah yeah i mean i guess it, it sounds a bit similar to that it's i think the bible would just be the the ultimate most clear and obvious case of that because in the in the beginning of the bible in the first few chapters of the bible there is a a problem that starts the problem of sin humanity doesn't last three chapters in the bible without screwing everything up and the whole bible is god enacting a big master plan to fix that problem that humans created and it's not finally fixed until the last few chapters of the bible when god makes a new earth a new heavens and a new earth and everything is perfected in the, in the last few books of the bible which is actually that particular part is speaking about the future but the entire bible is between those two you know endpoints and even though the bible has so many different perspectives so many different cultures and time periods and languages all that fits into that one overarching narrative so I've not heard of this Pixar theory. I'm sure that there are some interesting things. I've heard lots of interesting movie theories and stuff. I don't think anything is going to live up to what we see in the Bible. Richard, before the Bible, before 1500 years ago, let's go back, say, 2000, 2500 years ago, maybe go back to the Sumerians or the Egyptians. Before the Bible, before Christianity, was there God? Of course there was God. Um, God was there not just before... Christianity, God was there before the universe existed. 
God was there before anything else existed at all, because we believe, like I said, we believe God is external to the universe. God doesn't come from us or from the universe. The universe comes from God. God created the universe. We they, we say ex nihilo in Latin, out of nothing. So yes, the, the simple answer is yes. I could have answered that in one word. Yes, God was there before any of that, before any of us. So I'm just Googling how old is the universe. So the universe is currently 13.7 billion years. Because... Yeah, that's what scientists currently think. Some oh. scientists now they think it's uh, a bit older, like 25. Even if there's a multiverse, even if there's a, multi a multiverse that's eight quintillion years old, God would still be older than that. Got it. So let's say the world is many billions, hundreds of billions years old. Why did the Bible and Jesus and God come into fruition or appear a hundred billion minus a thousand years ago? So it's, it's interesting. In the New Testament, it says we are in the last days. And that was written 2000 years ago. So 2000 years ago, it seems like a very long time ago from our perspective. But if you look at the history of the whole world, it's extreme. It's right at the end. Everything in, you know, record human history has been at the very, very end of the universe. So this universe has existed for, for billions and billions of years. But what God has decided to do, at least that's what the, the Bible says he's decided to do, is to come in at the very end to redeem it. Because from there's this been there's been this problem of evil that's existed for the whole history of the universe. But the very end, God at first, God starts by sending prophets, messengers, but at the end, he comes down himself to announce that there is going to be a, a new creation, a new universe. And eventually, that new universe is going to replace the old one. It's going to transform the old one. It's not going to be like, you know, something brand new. It's going to be a, a better version of this one. So, yes, in some sense, we're at the, it's been a long time. But the future, this new universe, it's going to last forever. And however old our universe is, is going to be nothing compared to the new one. Got it. Do you know Ben Shapiro? Yeah, I've listened to Ben Shapiro. I used to listen to him a lot. He is Orthodox Jewish, so a different perspective from me. He's an important voice in American politics. I used to focus on more politics than I do now. Now I'm mostly focused on just religion and theology. But yeah. I, I do know who he is. I've listened to him. So is there something you wanted to ask me about him? Oh, I thought he was Christian. Is there a Christian version of Ben Shapiro that's similar that a lot of people listen to? And he has a quite a big voice and outlet. And, and he sort of likes to do a lot of arguments. There's two people on Ben Shapiro's like same organization, The Daily Wire. There's Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles. They're both Christians. They're both Catholic. And they... They have similar political views to Ben Shapiro. They would focus more on the culture than he does, whereas he focuses more on the economy. You know, Ben Shapiro is just one of the many figures on the American political right. And there are a lot of Christian, a lot of people on the American right are Christians. Some of them are also Jewish. So yeah, there is, I would say Matt Walsh is the, the Christian version of Ben Shapiro. I listen to him too. Um, I think he uh, he's also a very important voice. I, I happen to like him a lot more than Ben Shapiro, not just because he's Christian, but also because he focuses a lot more on the cultural issues than simply political and economic issues. How about Jordan Peterson? Is he Christian? And are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? I'm definitely familiar with Jordan Peterson. He's not fully Christian. He is very, very interested in Christian ideas. He focuses on the psychological impacts of Christian ideas. But he himself has not professed faith 
in Jesus Christ. So he's someone who's very adjacent to Christianity, very involved with other Christian figures. He himself, and he has been a big help to a lot of young men, um, but he himself is not a Christian yet, no. Some people think he might be about to convert, but not yet. Got it. So I, I do these weekly Zoom calls with a friend from the UK, Nick, and you know, I met him in New Zealand and, you know, he's really religious, but he's a Christian and he fully believes in God. And I love having these conversations with him. And, you know, there's this, there's this love for each other. You know, he's a really caring, loving type person. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's a lot of Christians that are very logical, you know, like, I guess you, Richard, or like a Ben Shapiro, where you guys are very, you know, it's, it's a debate. You guys are, you guys are thinking of different things. You're, you're logically sort of explaining why God exists. And, and there's that missing, that, that love, care, passion. It feels a bit robotic. It feels like, I forgot what catalyzes thought, whether it was maybe it feels like an algorithm or it feels like a, I can't remember what catalyzed it. But that's one thing that was also barrier. Like a lot of either renewed religions, redeemed Christians, a lot of these people, it felt like they were trying to like convert people or not. You're not trying to convert me at all. But I'm just thinking of this other girl that in high school, she used to question why I didn't believe in God. And it was a bit off-putting. But it feels like, like Ben Shapiro is a very logical, robotic person. And it feels like, I feel like religion should be more loving, free-spirited, caring and i think that's what jesus embodied but a lot of the christian believers look very different to jesus well there's um in christianity like you indicated you'll find some people who have a more logical approach to religion and some people who have a more emotional and free approach to religion that's kind of why there's different denominations of christianity like the different denominations they don't disagree on who jesus is they all believe jesus is god the reason there's different not like my denomination i'm a i'm what's called a presbyterian presbyterians are stereotyped as being more logical and robotic and stuff whereas if you have like a a methodist or a someone who's eastern orthodox they might focus on the more you know free-spirited, you know, mystical type of Christianity. They're, they don't disagree on who Jesus is. They might disagree in the approach to exactly how to how, how to worship Jesus. So yeah, that that's a fair observation. It's an accurate observation, I would say, that there's um some Christians act more like robotic, some Christians act more, you know, all Christians should pursue Jesus in being loving. But in terms of how they talk about religion, in terms of how they talk about their religious faith, there are going to be different approaches within Christianity. And I think that's okay because I think, you know, different approaches work best for different people. Got it. One thing I've always wanted to know with the Bible, like all the stories had to have happened prior to the Bible being made. Was the Bible made at one period and all of a sudden you have that big sort of Bible text or did it slowly build up to be the Bible? And how long was the Bible, the Old Testament before the New Testament came in? And how did someone just add some extra chapters to the Bible? Um, tell me about that history. Yeah, big question. Yeah, so it built up over time. It accumulated over time. The first part of the Bible, the first five books are from Moses. The Bible all starts with Moses. And Moses, basically, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. You know, maybe they were edited later or something. Some people think they were. And then later prophets, the rest of the Old Testament is prophets basically reflecting on Moses. Prophets basically building on what Moses said and encouraging everyone to follow what Moses said. And then there's, you know, 
other writings like poetry and wise sayings in the books of like Psalms and Proverbs that are reflecting on both Moses and the prophets. So that's why the Old Testament is divided into three categories, the law, which is Moses, the prophets, and the writings. So generally, anytime there's like a new piece of scripture, it's reflecting on the older scriptures. And then th that's the, the Old Testament was put all together during the what's called the Babylonian exile. When the Jewish people were kicked out of their homeland, they needed to keep their beliefs alive. So they compiled the Old Testament. And, you know, I think some of the books in the Old Testament were, were written after that. But by the time Jesus was around, you had you had the Old Testament and that was the Bible. That was Jesus' Bible, was the Old Testament. And every three seconds in the New Testament, someone quotes the Old Testament, whether it's Jesus or whether it's one of the other New Testament writers, whether it's one of the gospel writers. Like if you read the Gospel of Matthew, every three seconds, it's like Jesus did this and this fulfills this Old Testament prophecy. Jesus then did this, and this fulfills this Old Testament prophecy. And then in the, in some of the later New Testament writings, like just letters from the first, you know, the people building the church, they also reference the Old Testament all the time, every three seconds. And eventually, once, once the apostles, the people that Jesus appointed to build the church, once they started dying out, people needed to preserve their teachings as well. And that's where we get the New Testament from. Like Jesus appointed his disciples his followers he was like okay you guys have the authority to teach and for about 30 40 50 years they went all around the world teaching and building churches but then they started dying out so it's like okay who's going to teach us now we have to keep a record of what these people said and that's how we get the new testament so every part of the bible is basically a, a building on the part of the bible that came before it and Ever since the apostles have died off, there's not been any new Bible that's been written. So I would say the Bible in its final form, the form that we have it today, appeared, you know, in the early church. It's been, you know, there's different translations. There's been, there's, there's sometimes where it's like, we're not sure if this book really belongs in here. But generally speaking, the Bible reached its modern form in the early church. So yeah, it's something that developed naturally over the course of many centuries. How long ago did the apostles die? And I guess that's probably when the New Testament was created, right? Well, yeah, the apostles all knew Jesus. Jesus, his death and resurrection was in, uh, most people think 33, if not there, then somewhere very close to that. Generally, people think the last apostle, John, died around 90 or 100 AD. So that means we've had the New Testament for about 1900 years. And how old is the Bible then? Like how many years prior to the New Testament did the Bible exist? Well, depends on when you think Moses lived because, you know, the first iteration of the Bible was with Moses, Moses receiving revelation from God. So it'd probably, probably have been 1500 years before Jesus, 1500 BC. So that means if you're including even the earliest Bible texts, that would make the Bible somewhere between 3,500 to 4,000 years old. And the Bible might have been drawing on earlier oral traditions passed down that existed before Moses. Some people think they might even go all the way back to Adam. So who knows how old that is. But the first written Bible, we think, was Moses about 3,500 to 4,000 years ago. That's, that's the answer I would give. Might have been drawing on some stories that are even older than that. 
Like, for example, every single culture in the world has a flood story. So that means there must have been some sort of big flood at some point. The details, we don't know what the details are. So that's probably been an oral tradition that's been handed down maybe for 20,000 years. We have no idea. But in terms of written tradition, the first written part of the Bible was with Moses. Got it. Like there's been like, it's been scientifically proven that there was like a massive giant flood um, 10,000 years ago. And, and that lines up with stories of like Atlantis, the lost city. Uh, and then the, if you look at North Africa, you see these giant sort of waves. What's your thoughts on all that? Um, I think what's his name? Um, he's this scientist that, that basically says humans have lived for more than 10,000 years. And he would tell these crazy stories and, and line it up. Like he would say stuff like, He's a big believer that we don't know how the pyramids are built. They're not 2,000 years old. They weren't built with pulleys. Um, the pyramids maybe date back to 50,000 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. And you would match it to all the biblical stories. Is, is that a field that you, you've delved into all this sort of like science, sort of um, Joe Rogan-esque type things? Honestly, no. I'm not that into conspiracy theories. There's lots of theories like, you know, maybe there used to be giants or something. I I'm, I, I like, I'm a big believer in science. Uh, so in terms of like, I think that, you know, conspiracy theories, they can be fun. They can be interesting. Uh, but I think God gave us science as a tool to explore the world. So I think in terms of like what ancient history, what like prehistoric history is, you know, God gave us science to understand that. So I don't know when the flood happened i don't know how the flood happened but i trust that whatever it is we can if if we are to learn about it god gave us science to do that so i'm not too concerned with any conspiracy theories about that do you believe that moses split the seas or do you believe achilles was this giant agile soldier that could not be defeated and his ankle was his weak spot do you believe those two stories so the difference between miraculous things in the Bible and in other mythology is that other mythology has magic. The reason Achilles was immortal, according to Greek mythology, is he bathed in the magical, you know, river Styx. Uh, according to the Bible, the only type of supernatural power really comes from God. You know, there's also angels and demons, but mainly it's from God. So Achilles himself had miraculous powers. According to the Bible, Moses didn't have any magic powers at all. The only reason he was able to part the waters, which I believe did happen, was because it was it was God that parted the waters. It wasn't Moses himself parting the waters. God was willing to work through Moses, but that wasn't the same as Moses actually having the power to do it himself. So that's that's the big difference I see in biblical narratives versus other sort of mythology. So I would say, yes, you know, if God wrote the laws of physics himself, he can suspend them in order to do what's called a miracle. Uh, so I would say, yes, I I generally think Moses did indeed part the waters of the Red Sea. There's examples of miracles happening today. Uh, so if, if it can happen today, then obviously one of the most important prophets in human history could have done it as well. Um, obviously, Jesus also could have done miracles and risen from the dead. So I, I believe those miracles did happen, yes. Got it. Have you ever played the game Chinese Whispers? Uh, I don't think so, no. 
um, it basically you sort of have 10 people line up and the first person would say something like the tide went low so people could run over and then the moment they got through the tide started rising and the soldiers chasing them could no longer cross the river and as that person would tell the story to the next person and the next person and the next person by the time the ninth person would tell it to the tenth person it would literally be like Moses spread the seas. Um, it's sort of a popular game you might play in, in primary school. That might be the game of telephone, is that what you're talking about? The game yeah, telephone, exactly. Um, how you would say apple and by the end of it someone might say xylophone. <laughs> it would somehow just... Now why can that have not happened with the Bible over the last 10,000 years that's been retold, rewritten, retranslated? So, you know, logically it's possible that, that could have happened. The reason I trust the Bible is only really because Jesus trusted the Bible and I trust I trust Jesus. Now you could say, how do we know that the story of Jesus wasn't one of those telephone things that snowballed? Well, it's because the people who knew Jesus died for what they believed in. And what they believed in was that he rose from the dead, that he died, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And, and people don't die for what they know is a lie. It's like, you know, God brings good at bad, good out of bad things. So it's the testimony of these people who died horrible deaths, deaths for their faith shows us that we can trust in Jesus and what he said and did. So it's really Jesus that gives the Bible its reliability. You know, some there are some Christians who will say, they, they believe in Jesus because they believe in the Bible, and the Bible talks about Jesus. I, I would say it's the other way around. I believe the Bible because I believe in Jesus, and Jesus gave authority to the Bible. I think that the thing that comes to mind is that, that photo of the, the, the monk meditating and then being burned alive, and how that story could then, a hundred years later, someone could be like, there was this monk that didn't believe in, in China taking over Tibet, so she meditated and she transcended death and she was now reincarnated or she was sent to the afterlife spreading on this this beautiful image that then led to china's downfall five thousand years later and obviously that story is not being told today but it could evolve to that point could it not it could yeah um but the the thing about jesus was it's not just a spiritual resurrection that people were talking about it's a physical bodily resurrection you know there's all sorts of ideas like you know in star wars obi-wan says if you strike me down i shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine you seen star wars yes um, okay of course um a lot of spiritual leaders have been like that it's like their spirit has lived on after after they've died people will say that about buddha with jesus it's something different it's not just that he died and his spirit lived on or it's not that he resurrected as a spirit um what people said and what people died for saying was that he came back physically. He physically rose from the dead, that he defeated death himself. There have been examples of people coming back from the dead temporarily, like even people are resuscitated in a hospital, but they eventually still die later. But Jesus came back from the dead and he defeated death. According to Christian belief, he is still alive. He's just, he ascended into heaven. He didn't die after he came back from the dead. And people saw him physically alive they saw him literally eat a fish they touched his hands you can read the read, read the gospels and a lot of the people who wrote these gospels they ended up dying for what they believed so this the testimony people gave about jesus as i i still think fundamentally different from the testimony of, about any other sort of prophet or religious teacher 
the thing that sort of amazed me when you're sort of explaining all the different religions it's like all these different religions their end goal is to have this globalistic mindset where everyone believes in that one religion now that's going to be so difficult because there's so many different religions and everyone's believing that everyone in the world should believe their religion i guess like feels like when i when i hear that i'm like wow like it feels so i feel so powerless and it feels like there's no solution to this well everyone thinks the world would be a better place if everyone thought like them everyone I imagine you think the world would be a better place if everyone was more open-minded, right? Yeah, wow. You've read me like an open book. Exactly. So in some sense, you want everyone to believe a certain thing that you believe because you believe everyone should be open-minded. So it's inescapable for everyone to have certain beliefs that they want everyone else to hold to even if your belief is that people should be open-minded and respect each other's beliefs. So yeah, I'm honest about that. I do want the whole world to be Christian. I understand any good Muslim is going to want the whole world to be Muslim. Any good open-minded spiritual person like yourself is going to want the whole world to be open-minded to spirituality or, or, or whatever, to all, sort, or type, all sorts of types of spirituality. So I guess what I'm trying to say is true neutrality is simply not possible. It's impossible to have a neutral worldview. If you believe that people shouldn't spread their beliefs, then you want to spread the belief that people shouldn't spread their beliefs. It's it's inescapable. So I think what's what's best, I, I said this in the video about religions, what's best is not to all just act like we're all the same and we all believe the same things. It's to be honest about the fact that we don't believe the same things and to talk about that so we can better understand each other. What's your thoughts on everyone having their own religion? Like everyone have, like Richard has a Richard Ackerman's religion. I have an Andy Mai religion. And it's an integral approach where you go through life, you learn things, and you basically come to form your own worldview. Well, if everyone has their own religion, what that means is at most only one person can have the right religion and everyone else does not have the right religion. Now, no one's not no no two people can have identical beliefs but i think a different religion is different than a difference in belief for example i'm a protestant don't have exactly the same beliefs as a catholic but i do have the same religion because we worship the same god if god is to relate to humanity as a whole then it doesn't really make sense for every individual person to have their own religion because if that's the case only one of them can really be in a right relationship with god if everyone has their own religion then the relation, the number of people who, the percentage of people who have a right relationship with God will be anywhere from zero to 0 0.0000001. If the entire world has the same religion, it could be that 0% of people have a right relationship with God, or it could be 100%. Um, and again, even if you think that everyone should have their own religion, that in some sense is a religion if you think everyone else should have their own religion that is at, or if even if not a religion it's a worldview let's call it a worldview if you think it'd be better everyone else has their own religion so uh no i don't think everyone should have their own religion i think everyone should be honest about what they believe and be honest if the their religion is different than someone else's and they should talk about it and may the truth win out is what i say 
With your religion and your beliefs, how do you go ahead and attack a problem like Israel and Palestine? Like I'm looking at that, I'm like, man, like who's right, who's wrong? Like, I don't know. And I feel like you might have the same answer. And if you do have the same answers, then like, let's try not to have the same answer. How would you bring your beliefs into what's happening there and try to solve that problem with Christianity? Sure. I mean, I can't solve a, a geopolitical problem, but Jesus can. Um, Jesus is, it's, the Bible says he's, he's the prince of peace. Why do wars happen? Wars happen. It's not because this person's right. It's wars happen because people are evil. Every one of us. Um, Christianity gives a perspective that both sides are evil. In every war, maybe some sides are, are better than others. I think, you know, the Britain was better than the Nazis in World War II, right? But on any side of any war, the book, people on both sides are going to be evil. So the reason it's so hard to know which side is right in the Israel-Palestine conflict is because neither of them are right. Both sides do terrible things. And it's not unique to that conflict, by the way. In basically every war, you'll have both sides doing terrible things because people are evil. So the first step in, in Christianity is recognizing that most of the problems in the world come from within. God is not from within. However, evil often is. And in order to bring peace in the world, there needs to be a recognition of human sin a recognition that we can't solve these problems ourselves and we need God's help. I had a question that I just wrote down. What is evil? And it links to something I wrote down sort of like half an hour ago, how, you know, you told stories of the snake. Well, as you, I was learning from your video, how there was a snake, a serpent, and, and it's whispering in Adam's ears. And it sort of feels like that where stuff like science or atheism or the, the devil being worshipped in music videos or rap, TikTok, sexualization of different things. It seems like there's there's a snake or a serpent somewhere in our universe in, on Earth as of right now. And I guess that also ties in with my new thing that I wrote down, like, what is evil? Yeah, what is evil? Evil is not a thing the way good is, the same way cold is not a thing. Cold is just a lack or deprivation of heat. And darkness is just a lack or deprivation of light. So evil is just a lack or deprivation of good. And good is that which is in accordance with God's will. So for something to be good, to describe something as good, it means this is in line with the way God intends for it to be. Evil means this is not in line with the way God intends for it to be. That's why there's no such thing as an evil thing. Because all things are created by God, and everything that God created is good. Evil is a good thing being misused. So all people were created good initially, but fell to evil by turning away from God. So even the it's even true of the devil. So you know, there's the in the Bible, it's it's the snake. Satan is the snake. Snake is a metaphor. It wasn't a real snake. It's it's the devil. It's Satan. But the the demons, the Satan, the the, uh, the demons. They used to be angels. They were angels that rebelled against God. It's an example of how evil is not a substance. There's no, it, it's not like a, a dualism of here's the good God, here's the evil God, they're at war. There, there's only God, and God is good. Good is defined as that which is in accordance with God's will. But evil is when things are not in accordance with God's will, when things are rebelling against God. And what Satan did was Satan basically convinced humanity to side 
with him over God, convinced humanity to rebel against God. And that's what humanity has been doing ever since. Ever since then, humanity has been in a constant state of rebellion against God. And that's why there's so many evil things. That's why there's the Holocaust. That's why we have enough food to feed 12 billion people, but we don't do that. That's why there's the Israel-Palestine conflict, because humanity has all turned away from God. We all deserve God's judgment. God could wipe us all out and he would be totally justified in doing so. But God still loved us enough to send himself, to send his only son to die for us. When you mentioned how at the end of the Testament or like this, the Bible talks about how in the end, God will come in and sort of make the world anew. You know, he, he might flood the world or send a meteor strike to sort of clear everyone in the world to, for, to create a great reset. And there's this guy named Klaus Schraubs and a few globalists that believe in this thing called the great oh, yeah. reset on like clearing 80% of the population and like things like depopulation schemes and, and vaccines and, and de try to decrease fertility rates, this and that. Um, are those two the same thing or different? I would say one is a dangerous parody of the other. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't know if Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are going to do anything. But the Bible does speak of this concept of antichrist, of figures that are like an imitation of Christ, but a false imitation, and trying to do what Jesus is going to do, but in a corrupt way, sort of being like a a false alternative to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying any particular human individual like Klaus Schwab is going to be like that, but whenever humans try and do what Jesus is trying to do without Jesus, that is the spirit of Antichrist, basically setting up an alternative to Jesus. There's a story in the Bible, this Tower of Babel, where humans try and build this huge tower up to the heavens, and God is like, this is a prideful thing. Humans are, are corrupt. They're going to be dangerous if they get too much power. And God may, basically makes that whole project fail by giving everyone different languages so they can't understand each other. Um, not sure if that story is real or not. But the message there is that if humans try and basically do what Jesus is going to do, if humans try and turn themselves into God— it's going to be a disaster because humans are corrupt. This idea of this great reset like you're talking about, it's fundamentally good. But as I said before, evil things are just good things, but corrupted and distorted. So if this great reset is not led by King Jesus, but if it's led by a different person who is corrupt, it's going to turn into unspeakable evil because every mass genocide in human history, whether like Hitler or Stalin or Mao, it was all people trying to do what Jesus is trying to do, make a perfect world, but doing it without Jesus. And that's why it, it failed. That is, that's what I think the spirit of Antichrist is. And I think this discussion with you is useful because it helps me understand like what I believe about all this stuff. It's The Bible says iron sharpens iron. That's why I think it's useful to talk to people of different beliefs than me, because you know discussing these differences of beliefs helps um, us understand what we believe even better. I agree. And, and that's why I love these conversations. I always, it helps me share and refine and make sort of pivots towards my world beliefs. When you talked about that, that Babylon story, is that a story from the Bible? Because when you say stuff like, not sure if that was real or not, does that mean there's some things that you might doubt actually happened in the Bible versus some things that actually happened, like the sea being split? In the Bible, um, so that the, the Tower of Babel, that's a story from Genesis. 
Genesis is the one book of the Bible. It's the first book that took place way before anyone was writing about it in real time. So for most of the books in the Bible, I would say Exodus onward. Now, this is just my opinion. Christians will disagree on this. A lot of Christians would say, of course it happened. Why, why wouldn't it? Um, it very well might have happened. But I think because Genesis, the events of Genesis happened hundreds and thousands of years before Moses wrote about them, it's possible that some of them could be more metaphorical or allegorical. I'm not saying they were. I'm saying it's possible. The reason I would trust that everything sort of Moses and beyond actually happened is because it was being written about in real time. So that means it's a lot more historically reliable. But then again, as I indicated, I have a very logical approach to Christianity that some people, some other Christians might disagree with, and that's okay. Is it possible that post-Moses, through translation, through the last 1,500 years, through the different language changes, that a lot of things like the sea being split, Jesus being resurrected, could also be metaphorical? So, as I explained earlier, with some early stories in the Old Testament, yes, it's possible, but... We can trust what Jesus said and did really happened because the apostles died for it. People don't get crucified upside down for a metaphor. People don't go to that willingly over a metaphor. So no. And what the what Paul, one of the apostles, said was, if this didn't really happen, then our faith means nothing. So I would say the resurrection of Jesus. There's no way that's a metaphor. It's either 100% true or 100% false, and I think it's 100% true. Is it possible that, like, for example, let's say I die telling people one plus one equals two, and then through just that being translated to many different languages, add 2,000 years, all of a sudden it says, Andy Mai died, he got crucified for saying one times one equals two. I mean, I don't see why that would happen necessarily, especially because we have evidence that what the apostles said is actually what they said. There's more manuscript evidence, there's more like textual archaeological evidence that the Bible has basically stayed the same from the beginning than for any other ancient book. So like, for example, um, for the Greek writers like Socrates or Homer, we have like five manuscripts that are from a thousand years after the fact, whereas for the Bible, we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts going all the way far back as just 20 or 30 or 50 years after the fact. So it's like, you could say, yes, in those 20 and 50 years, the Bible could have completely changed. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. But then you would have to abandon all faith in any sort of ancient literature. And we would basically go back to the dark, to the dark ages. Wow. So you're saying that there is, I don't know, is there hundreds, but is there hundreds of manuscripts 20 years after Jesus got resurrected saying Jesus got resurrected and these are like a hundred manuscripts from a hundred different people. And we have them in physical form and we can date them to 1,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, probably not. Um, generally, the, the further back you go, the fewer manuscripts there are because that's the way it works with everyone. But we have way more manuscripts for the New Testament than any other ancient literature at all. It's not even like if you compare the amount of manuscript evidence for the New Testament to any other ancient work of literature it would be like a swimming pool to a single drop of water. Hmm. So it's like we don't have 100% certain proof of either, but it's like if you're going to abandon faith in the swimming pool, if you're abandoning faith in the swimming pool, you can't have faith in anything else, and then we're basically back to the Dark Ages. Interesting. And the next thing I would think of is right now, you know there's a saying how history is written by the winners. So like 
We have hundreds and millions of literature saying that China's bad, Hitler was bad, Stalin was bad, communism is bad, capitalism is good, you want to have a free country. And this could then be locked in time and be also accepted 10,000 years from now. But we didn't get the other side of the story because we just didn't. It's true. Um, so yes, history often is written by the victors. But for the first few hundred years of Christianity, they were not the victors. They were persecuted. It was an illegal religion in Rome. You know, this is not true of Islam. Islam basically succeeded by military conquest from the very beginning, from the time of Muhammad himself. But for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal. It was they were, it was suppressed by the government of Rome, the most powerful empire in the world. And despite that, Christianity still conquered the entire Roman Empire. It was like a fire that the emperors tried to stamp out, but no matter what they did, no matter how many times they tried to weed out Christianity, they just couldn't. And eventually Christianity took over the whole empire. It's like eventually Constantine did make the empire Christian, but that was only after Christianity had won the battle for the culture. So Christianity was not the victors, but eventually they became the victors after 300 years of people trying to remove it and being unable to do so. When I was in New Zealand, I was talking to a local sort of Maori and I was trying to figure out the history of, of New Zealand and how there's so many churches and how it's quite a 80% of the population is Christian now. And he was telling me how these, I forgot what you call it, those Christian people who travel around the world to spread the message of God, but you know, they, they landed on New Zealand. What do you call them? Missionaries. Correct, missionaries. Christian missionaries came to New Zealand. It was like, hey, there's this thing called God. Like, you guys all need to believe in God. And there would be these wide-eyed missionaries with so much enthusiasm. And it would draw in all these Maoris that would believe in Mother Nature, the Sea God. They, they had their own sort of set of beliefs. That was somehow used as like a tool to then sort of tame the Maoris, let them know that I don't know, somehow control them in a way where it was just much easier for the missionaries or, or Britain to send their ships and, and take over New Zealand and, and kill a lot of the Maoris and sort of basically own the land. And this story has been repeated a lot through different civilizations. When I hear stuff like that, that sort of makes me feel a bit, it feels evil. Every, like I said, every group of people has basically tried to spread their ideas. It's just a fact of, of human history. But you, you say it's evil. By what standard? by what standard is that wrong it's like you say you know maybe maybe our perspective is wrong the other side of the story you say like the only reason we value freedom and democracy and freedom of expression is because the people who valued those ideas won all the great wars for most of human history people didn't really believe in freedom of expression people believed it's it's my way or the highway uh, so the fact that you believe it's evil to try and spread your beliefs and stamp out other beliefs, that's due to your personal historical context and due to the fact that, you know, Western nations that believe that ended up winning all the wars. Got it. And does that mean you'd probably lean more towards the it's my way or the highway, just like how they converted New Zealand and just took over the country and colonized it? Of course, as I said, because all humans are sinners, whenever there's conquest and war, bad things are going to happen. Whenever humans are given power, they're going to abuse it. I'm not saying what they did was good. I am saying I think it's good for, you know, Christianity to spread. I wish it had been done in a, you know, more natural or peaceful way. And many, many times it was peaceful. 
For example, it's like the church is rapidly spreading now in China, even though the government is opposed to it. There's no, you know, forceful conversions there because humans are evil. Everything they do is going to be tainted by evil. Fundamentally, I think, um, yes, it's it's good for it's good for Christianity to spread everywhere, not because it's like my my way is the best. It's because Jesus's way is the best. Got it. And I think you're right. Like there was another story that come to mind, but like like goes down the same thread of, you know, people want to share what they believe and and there's going to be bad eggs in that belief systems where they might be more forceful than others. Um, and, and it is what it is. Have you consumed any of Andrew Tate's content? What's your thoughts on Andrew Tate? He was one of the catalysts like for me to to consider God and religion. And he seems to have he, he's he's been a big advocate over the last year on talking about his relation with God and he's recently converted to Islam. I think his brother Tristan Tate is a Christian. I've not listened to Andrew Tate directly. However, I've heard the things he said and there's a reason he rejected Christianity and embraced Islam because he does not have a Christian. What he preaches is completely against what Jesus preached. He basically says everything Jesus said not to do. For example, first of all, he treats women like objects. Jesus humanized women more than anyone else in the ancient world ever. He treated women as basically equal to men, which no one ever did. He humanized them more than anyone ever did. Andrew Tate treats women like objects that increase a man's status. Andrew, Andrew Tate also says you should get your value from how many women you have and how much stuff you have. And Jesus said it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't the same as a Buddhist who says worldly possessions are always bad, but he says attachment to worldly possessions and making worldly possessions into a kind of God, that leads you to hell. And that seems to be the message I get from Andrew Tate. I must confess I haven't listened to him. I think... It's good if he is getting people interested in, in religion, but if he is, you know, basically treating women like objects that increase a man's status, I want nothing to do with that. Got it. I think definitely if you watch his long form content, it might be different. Um, then I guess the next question I wrote down is Hillsong. What's your thoughts on Is that Christianity? Is that Catholicism? Like what's Hillsong? Oh yeah. Um, Christian, no, it's not Catholicism. Hillsong, it's just, you know, a contemporary Christian band, a Christian, you know, music group. You know, most Christian music, you think of like hymns and, you know, chants and stuff. There's a there's a, a another category of Christian music. It's like contemporary style. It's a very modern thing. I don't think it, nothing like horrible about it. I don't think it's the best music Christianity has to offer. I think, you know, if you want traditional Christian music, I think the the best example of Christian music is like Johann Sebastian Bach or Handel's Messiah. Those, you know, great traditional Christian um, hymns and chorales and stuff like that. I'm a big, I'm, I'm a classical musician, so I appreciate a lot of stuff. So yeah, Hillsong, it's contemporary Christian music. I nothing wrong with it i just don't think it's nearly as good as a lot of other christian music that is more traditional got it richard are you currently studying or are you doing youtube full time yeah i uh i'm in university i'm studying mathematics and music in school so yeah youtube is not a full-time job for me i don't do it because it's a job i do it because i think it's important to get the message of christianity out there do you see yourself becoming a a 
a researcher in mathematics or do you see yourself doing Christian music? Do you see yourself continuing with YouTube after your studies? What's your plans? My plan is just to become a boring actuary, someone who's like, you know, does, you know, mathematical work for insurance company or something. My real job is probably going to be boring, but I don't plan on getting satisfaction for my real job. What I want to do on the side is simply to spread the message of Christianity. So yes, I do plan to continue doing that on the internet by whatever medium is is possible, whether that's YouTube or Instagram or Twitter. I'd rather not do it on TikTok because I don't like TikTok, but you get the idea. Yes, I plan to keep doing YouTube. Thanks for asking. As an actuary, where you're sort of calculating what the chances of someone getting into a car crash or dying and based on, you know, you're selling life insurance and based on certain genetic tests, if they have a tendency to have a, B, and C, and you're basically making money off people's downfalls and, and basically trying to make it profitable for the insurance companies. Like it feels a bit soulless in, in comparison to Christianity. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit dull of a job prospect. I got to admit that. Um, I, I'm open to other options. It's just like, you know, it's work that someone's got to do. Someone's got to do it. In Christianity, there's this idea of whatever your job is, you should work as hard as possible in that job and do it for the glory of God. So it's like, if I'm asked to do something immoral, it's like if I'm asked to like scam old people with insurance, then I'd probably turn that down. But if I'm simply asked to calculate, you know, what's the prob probability that a hurricane is going to land at this time of year, that's actually helpful. Someone's got to do that work. So yeah, actuary work, not the most exciting, but someone's got to do it. As an actuary or studying that field, do you personally or do you think it's worth getting like, say, car insurance, life insurance, health insurance, or is it better to pull money and, and put, say, X amount of aside that you would have put aside for insurance and, and build a sort of safety pool for if something does happen? I don't know. Again, my, um, my specialty would only be in the mathematical side of it, like calculating the statistics of that. As a mathematician, I deal with the theoretical and it's more other people like engineers they and data scientists that deal with the real world so i deal with the, the theoretical and other people deal with the actual but yeah that's a good question mathematically uh insurances i heard two things either one they're they're making money and, and they make profit or two they're actually either breaking even and making a loss but where they make money is getting the money upfront and acting as a bank and reinvesting the money they make from you. But when it comes to claims, they're actually losing out money. So it's actually a value positive to have insurance. Again, that <laughs> might be true. I'm not an insurance scientist. I only deal with the mathematical statistical aspect of it. But again, I'm still in university, so I haven't actually had a real job yet in, in actuarial science. God, what do you, last question. What do you think happens when you die, Richard? Uh, well, I believe that we have a soul. So when the body dies, the soul lives on. Jesus said to this criminal who was being executed next to him, at the last second of his life, that criminal confessed faith in Jesus. And then Jesus said, the criminal said, Jesus, remember when you, me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that means even if you're a criminal, even if you're a thief like that guy was, if at any point in your life you decide to turn to jesus then there's a promise that after you die not only will your soul live on your soul will be comforted with god and eventually once you know jesus comes back you're going to be given a new perfect version of your your physical body you're going to have a new physical body 
That's what I think happens. So that's that's the case for everyone who has faith in Christ. What about everyone else? It's a mystery. I would say it's a mystery. And there is a, we all deserve God's judgment. So being judged by God in hell is a real possibility, especially um, for those who are not in not in Christ. I'm not saying I know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm saying that is that is a, a real possibility. Do you believe in the Big Bang and how all the atoms were compressed and exploded? Yeah, that seems to be the scientific consensus. It was it was a Christian, a Christian priest who discovered the Big Bang. Tell me about that. That's something I did not know. No, before the Big Bang, a lot of scientists thought the universe was eternal, that the universe always existed. And then a, a Catholic priest, I think Georges Lamartre, discovered the Big Bang by discovering that, you know, the, the expansion of the universe, that the universe, if the universe has always been expanding, there had to be a point where the universe was just like a, a singular dot, and it exploded into everything we have today. But yeah, I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in evolution, all that stuff. Not Some Christians might challenge that, but I don't. Got it. Really cool. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. It's very interesting. The last two questions I like to ask every guest. One, yeah. any recent discoveries that you've had over the last few months that you've sort of implemented in your life? And two, um, what's the main goal and focus for the next six months? Very good question. Uh, hmm. Recent discoveries. Good question. I recently discovered there's a ton of young men who are finding religion, but they're going all sorts of different places. Some are going following Andrew Tate. Some of them are going to like some more very like traditionalist forms of Christianity, like, you know, Catholicism or Orthodoxy. They want something, but I don't think they know what they want yet. So I'm trying to push them in the right direction. And what I'm going to be doing for the next six months, I'm going to continue trying to revive the church and local churches and stuff like that and trying to spread Christianity in order to bring people into the church. So thank you. And how do you go about reviving a church? Revive church by getting people to go to church instead of, you know, being completely online. Like a lot of people, they find Christianity online and they think, okay, this is cool. I But they don't actually leave their house, touch grass and go to church. I think if we're going to really help our generation, we need to get people outside the door and into the doors of churches. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Richard. Richard, where can people find more about you and, and more about your content? Where are the best place people to sort of learn more about you, Richard? Uh, Redeemed Zoomer on YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter, especially YouTube, because that's by far my biggest platform. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Richard. I had a blast chatting with you. I learned so much about myself. I love how you're super knowledgeable in all different topics. Like, you know about, you know, I guess the Quran and Buddhism. So it's really cool that you have this sort of broad knowledge and we probably only scratched the surface but I had a great time talking with you today thank you thank you have a good one awesome so this is the end of the podcast hope you guys got some value from this episode please let me know your thoughts and i'll see you guys next week with another episode peace